Actually, best choice movies, the world's only movie podcast. I am the most important host. My name is Chris Chafin. And I am the least important ghost, Bulib Shuvli. Caleb Boovli. Yeah. Yeah, Caleb, first of all, you're too late for the spooky season. The spooky season is over, my brother. Like You know, uh, we're going through a presidential coup, so it's completely spooky. It's spooky. I wish that was the way Donald Trump was conducting this whole thing. It was like, all of it was spooky. <laughs> I was scared. It was right after Halloween. He was like, That's why I, I haven't to... spoken publicly for the past couple of weeks. I used to have so many votes, and then they disappeared. Spooky. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so on Actually Best Choice Movies, every week we talk about uh, two films. One of them is old and one of them is new, and they're connected in some way, like an elaborate scam, would you say, Caleb? Yes, they are movies that are considered uh, good in a more modern sense. It's like, oh yeah, it's in theater, I'll check that out. Or good in the sense like, oh yeah, I heard that was good. So, you know. <laughs> All types of good. Those are actually, I would say, 100% of the movies we're talking about this week. I would say they sure. <laughs> neatly fit into one of those categories. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this week we're talking about uh, 1973. Is that right? Yes. Paper Moon, directed by Peter Bogdanovich. Yes. And then uh, 2020's Kajillionaire, written, directed, produced, uh, choreographed by Miranda July. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all this week on actually Best Choice. Movies. Movies. But before we get to any of that, Caleb, so both of these movies are about con men, the confidence you know, yeah. men, flim flam artists, hucksters. Um, this is a, you know, a thing film loves, right? Yeah, it, there's so many films about it. We could probably spend uh, way too long, which we won't do. You're welcome. Uh, but I think the, su- the successful mark of any uh, con movie is it's pulling a trick in a film and that really depends on the insight into the actual characters pulling the trick. Uh, and I think that really goes into, uh, you could file most con films into two categories, uh, like a protagonist versus an antagonist. That doesn't necessarily mean good or bad. Either like or like um, you mean like like uh, Ocean's Eleven where they're like trying to get this one. They guy? are trying to get someone, yeah. Uh, and there really is not a lot of like personal growth for him. And, it, and 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 with that one, I would say especially Ocean's. We talk about Danny are, Ocean has a lot of personal growth. You he know, he does, but not, does he really? It's not really that. Does interesting. he really? That's true. There are two more. Stories, um, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be the Julie Roberts characters, but I don't want to get into. But that movie, <laughs> those movies are more about the actual con itself. Yeah. Like that's the spect- spectacular thing. Uh, but you can have a protagonist anti. I was going to say Dirty Rotten Scandals. Like there's, oh, sure, they're both yeah, yeah. versus, but they're both great, smart guys. And uh, Catch Me If You Can. That's like a a, a good versus evil type one too. Uh, well, I don't but think. There's... Well, I guess yeah, he is. He's a con man on Catch Me If You Can, right? Because I yeah, think yeah, of yeah. that as more as like a, a criminal cat and mouse thing. But mm-hmm. he is a con man. That's the whole thing in the movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and but that one and the other type of one, and I think Catch Me If You Can does this well. Is is just you know the growth of their relationship. You see. Uh, I think him and his mom, I think, I forget the actress's name. I always liked that part of Catch Me If You Can. Uh, but there's like, I think both the movies we're talking about are more, less about the actual conning and more about the actual 
relationship between the con artist and not necessarily people he's con they're conning, but the relationship between the con artists themselves. Right, exactly. Uh, I think two. Well, Parasite. Are, I mean, I feel like we have to. I, I was about, about to bring that up. Yeah, two movies uh, specifically uh, recently about uh, con, uh, like the Parasite, obviously, and then another movie we talked about on this podcast a little bit, uh, Shoplifters. Both really, uh, Kajonia reminded me a lot of both of those, uh, especially Shoplifters, as being about a family of. And oh, I guess Parasite's also about Parasite's family, about but, Parasite's about two families, yeah. motherfucker. Like, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it is interesting. Like, obviously, Parasite, in a way, would have been a movie to pair Kajillionaire with, but we already done it on, done it on the show, and it is not yeah. old. But it is, you cannot get that movie out of your head while watching Kajillionaire, I felt like. And and I feel like, do you think Kajillionaire was made, do you think Miranda July had seen Parasite when she made Kajillionaire? Yeah, it's interesting, because she doesn't make a ton of, this is her only her third movie since, what, 2005-ish? Yeah, 2005. Yeah. So, uh... And I mean, she's a very busy person. She's an author. She's a sculptor. She's so much stuff. She's busy, um, but I also have the feeling like she does sit around like a large part of the day and not really do sure, anything. Sure, yeah. I definitely get that feeling from her. Yeah. It also could mean that the script could have been sitting around, too. Well, that's the <laughs> but, thing, right? Maybe yeah. she has been working on this project for like and, 10 yeah. years or something. And the impetus you know? came to make it more. And uh, Brad Pitt, who produced this movie, was like, hey, here's some money. Brad Maybe Pitt, it's like it, it's been kicking around, and then once Parasite exists, Brad Pitt is like, "Oh, okay, people like this kind of stuff." Yeah, okay, sure. Wait, that's uh, we're doing these again. I've been meaning, meaning to make a con movie for so long, but well, this is like almost like a postmodern. I would say Paper Moon of its time is a postmodern con movie uh, because it was set. It was made in the seventies, set in the thirties. But we'll get into that later. I don't know if that makes it postmodern. I think that well, means... and also like, yeah, I would also say within what Bogdanovich was doing as an artist, and also his. Uh, cinematographer we're getting i'm getting ahead i mean yeah well well, well, i won't guess i won't talk about it too much but it's almost like uh star wars in a certain way i mean the 30s were so big in the 70s like it's just very much trying to perfectly recreate something from the 30s but update it just slightly Mm -hmm. you know uh but i guess i like con movies is what i'm ultimately saying yeah i mean con movies are interesting i mean i think there are so many of them because i i think that like you know, everybody in Hollywood thinks they're a cool ass con man, you know, just like tricking people into giving them a bunch of money to not do anything. But like, you know, making movies is hard work. You're definitely working. I'm sorry to break it to you. Also, there are like lots of other jobs that are not that hard. So it's like, it's not really like everyone in Hollywood is like pulling off the world's biggest scam. I mean, I guess they do get to make a lot of money, but there are plenty of jobs that are easy. But, um, yeah, I like con movies, you know, like, yeah, it is. They can definitely be like cringy. And, or they can be like really smooth and well done, or they can be both at the same time. Like I'm thinking sure. of uh, "Now You See Me." You know? I'll just say "Now You See Me" is a movie I don't like, but I respect that how it uh, how it's, it's written. It's <laughs> There's fun a good screenplay there occasionally, but it's so cringy. It's so cringy. First rule of magic: always be the smartest guy in the room. It's like buying something like at the duty free shop, you know, it's like this place is so gross and weird and it's just trying to take my money from me. But okay, this is like actually a good deal. I should probably get this. (laughs) Like, you know, I I watched the music man recently. I was high and I watched the music man. It was great. Uh, And then, of course, I was reminded of uh, the great. uh, Simpsons episode, uh, which I think is a very good con with Lyle Landley and Marjorie versus the monorail. Uh, which is a weird title for that episode. I don't know why I'm talking about The Simpsons, well, uh, but I guess I wanted to. But I did okay, not to interrupt, but like 
there is. I always think of The Simpsons when I think of Paper Moon because they have an episode that's just like Paper Moon. I was Moon. about to exactly. I was, I was about to bring up uh, Grandpa versus Sexual Inadequacy. Yeah, uh, with The Simpsons and Son Real. Life. Yeah, because I think that was music and it's Bart and, a, and Homer and they're running cons together. Well, oh, I was thinking of uh, it's with Grandpa and Homer where oh, they. Oh no, were, not that one. No, there's another one with Bart and Homer where they're doing like cake drops and stuff. Oh, there is that episode. That was a later seasons. That was uh, that's later, se- but that is like directly yeah. a Paper Moon. Thing. It's like sure, they're playing sure. 30s music and they're doing all these cons together. I was thinking of, or we're all definitely going to cut all this. I was thinking of. No, this is all good stuff. <laughs> this is all great stuff, Caleb. Uh, Grandpa versus sexual and Atticus, right, Atticus right, right. which uh, uh, he sells uh, sexual tonic to. Uh, like Grandpa's uh, up on the stage. We a have very like, good this episode. is a miracle tonic. And yeah. Homer's like, I'll try that. And that's a very good uh, uh, very, uh, relationship. Like it got into oh, a lot yeah. of like yeah, heavy yeah. stuff. With, I mean, that's uh, what, again, it's like you're saying about a con movie. Yeah, that is really what that does. episode is about: is the relationship between Homer and. It's really Abe, deep right? into the, it. Really deepens their, those those two characters. It's uh, and deep. It goes deep episode. in a way that only early season Simpsons do, where it is actually extremely serious for part of the episode. Like, doesn't like Homer rescue Abe from a fire at the climax of that episode? Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah, and it's very. That's not the kind of show that happens anymore. <laughs> and it's played not as a joke. It's played very, very serious. Yeah, in the same episode where Homer and Marge try to get their sex life back by listening to a tape of Paul Harvey, oh <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Erotic America. <laughs> That's right. It's so good. It's so good. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Do you want to move on to our first film this week, Caleb? Yeah, we're doing uh, Kajillionaire first, right? That is fucking hella right, Caleb. We're talking about Miranda of July's 2020 Kajillionaire. They are real characters, super unique. But you vouch for them, right? She learned to forge before she learned to write. Well, actually, that's how she did learn to write. My favorite movies are the Ocean Eleven movies. This is exactly the kind of thing that I've been wanting. So what do your parents do, hon? Hon, you've never called me that. But you could if it was a job, though, right? Kajillionaire is the new film from writer slash director slash performance artist slash app developer slash many other things. Uh, Miranda July, uh, who it's hard to believe it, but like we were saying, it's been 15 years since Yumi and Everyone We Know came out, which is totally crazy. I mean, and that movie is so dated in a certain way. It's very much, even though it's not twee, it's part of this like found like twee culture that existed at the time right and that's like people think about it like little miss sunshine or the postal service blah 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 it's this whole thing i i always thought that it was much better than all of that other stuff and i really always really liked marin july um so this new movie kajillionaire people usually describe the plot with some variation of saying like it's a family of scammers who are played by richard jenkins deborah winger and evan rachel wood have their lives uh turned upside down when they meet a woman played by gina rodriguez who like creates tension between them in a million different ways uh which sounds interesting right it sounds like maybe like a french movie you know or it's like parasite or something right um but i think this description this whole way of thinking about this movie the whole way of marketing this movie it's like way off the fucking mark because i think really you know really what this these people first of all are not scammers (laughs) like um they're mostly doing these kind of insane miranda july absurdist things like leaping around outside a post office or like scraping pink bubbles off of the wall of the office building that they live in which is like 
a job or something. I don't know. It's just, you know, whatever. Mostly what the characters are doing in this movie is vibrating out of their own skin with anxiety. Um, some of which seem to be like real things you can imagine Miranda July's friends saying to her. And some of them seem to just come from this kind of meanly distasteful perspective on real people's lives by someone who has not had to ever live a real life. Um, July's work is usually polarizing. The review of this movie in the New York Times said uh, something like, I don't usually like Miranda July, but I really like this movie. Um, and I will say I do usually really like Miranda July. Um, and I, I, I didn't like this movie. I, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was very good. Uh, Caleb, what did you think about this movie? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, I think with a lot of Miranda July movies, uh, there's just so much detail to talk about. And it's not necessarily obvious what the important details are in her movies. Uh, she'll have like big scenes or memorable set pieces, uh, like cute kids talking about a chore wheel, a man setting right. his hand on fire. There's a cat narrator in the future. And here, foam. Uh, but <laughs> but she leaves. Uh, and I think it's cool that she leaves it to the audience to figure that, that all out. And it's that's not necessarily the plot is complicated. Uh, it's just like lots of random shit think, happens. Yeah, you're There's not like lots of the plot. Shit. But you have to figure out those like themes and feelings. And I think that's cool because there's a lot of like stuff she parses out and like themes that she always hits on that uh, I think are uh, – speak to me personally. Like we brought up uh, Me and You and Everyone We Know, which I uh, was one of like those first movies I watched a lot when I was like in uh, getting into film and mm. like college freshman. I was like, oh, cool. Here's a movie I could put on that girls think I'm deep for. Uh, and also, I just really like that. I think that uh, John Hawks is one of my favorite actors. And I think that, that was the movie where, like, oh, wait, I love John Hawks. That put it all together for me. Who is that? Who, who does he play in that movie? He was uh, the guy who set his hand on fire. He's the male lead in that movie. Okay. The, the old guy, yeah. Uh, okay. uh, Saul Star from Deadwood. Okay, all right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. The themes in their movie are always, I think, the same. Uh, there's, like, always uh, what that blurring of childhood to adulthood that you know like yeah uh am i i'm an adult i need a who acts more adult i'm a child who uh who's more mature than i really am i think those are very prevalent uh there's also always well right well for... can i just not to like interrupt you yeah, just yeah. from having said that like so this is one of the big things about this movie i would say and this is maybe a, a fertile area for discussion so Evan Rachel Wood is playing plays the daughter of, of Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger, right? And she's dressed in this totally insane Miranda July way where she's got like hair like all the way down to her yeah, butt. Cousin it hair. Cousin it hair. Yeah. She's wearing a tracksuit that's like eight sizes too big. Yeah, super and it's lumpy, like some kind yeah. of crazy color. And it's like that's how she's why and she wa walks she's you know, she's doing this very physical performance where she just is walking so crazy and like stands so crazy and she's doing the world's craziest fucking voice. Octaves and down, man. Deep for octaves, deep. Yeah. Octaves, octaves, octaves down. Like it's just it's just ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. They're my parents. There's a question of how old is this person, right? Because mm -hmm. like in in at some point in the movie, someone asks if it's their 18th birthday, and she goes, "No, I'm 26." And I, it, like 30 minutes before this happens in the movie, I had made a note like Evan Rachel Wood is 33. Like definitely, <laughs> the movie is treating her like she's 15. That is like very much what she seems to be acting like. But it's, mm -hmm. it's like you're saying it's because 
the themes of the movie are about the relationship between children and parents, like as of minute like sixty five or seventy in the movie. I think it those are not the themes until very oh, yeah. late in the movie, and then they totally become the themes, and that's all the movie's about. But before that is all that's going on is like people are jumping around and doing weird stuff. Yeah, a lot know? of set pieces, a lot of just uh, di- uh, directing of like, hey, hey, or something cool to look at, and they don't even really say the character Evan Rachel's character's name, and it's kind of uh, we could well, I won't yeah. say her name, but we won't, I won't spoil like because it's actually a funny, interesting enough tidbit uh of why her name is this her name's old dolio old dolio Dol- two different words uh and they don't yes. say her old name i was like wait did they dolio yeah i kept like like what's her name what's her character i was like oh they did then they finally said like oh that's why they didn't say her name that's funny uh and you know what there i would say there's a i have a lot of love for old dolio uh like who in a way she's navigating this movie along with us <laughs> she's just wait, plopped down in this ridiculous world her name being Old Dolio, like I was watching it on Amazon. It's on Amazon Early Access, so it was like twenty bucks. But so whenever I would pause it, it would say then it would say Old Dolio, and I was like, oh, there must be flashbacks. <laughs> you know? Oh damn, you got it spoiled. That's why you don't watch it on Amazon or yeah, don't pause it on Amazon. Know. That's why you don't pause movies. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted. Um, but yeah, I was just saying, uh, like she's navigating this. Like you said, like the first movie is just like a bunch of weird set pieces of like her, the family like scheming around and uh, living next to a bubble factory. And like she's navigating that with. And well, like, wait, 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 it's wait, an ende- the- I, I'll, I'm just okay. saying it's a very endearing character and it easily could have been like a shallow joke. Uh, and then they actually learn about her and her family. And that's very much shades of dog tooth and how she was raised. Yeah, that's we true. And we see her learn and about not only the world, but also her parents. And I think that transitions more into the movie as like what we're saying about like the childhood and adulthood blurs. Like right. when you're learning about your parents and learning about the world. But I mean, uh, but Pam, yeah. what, what did you think about this, this character? Like the physicality, the, the costume choices, the hair In a choices. way, it's uh, absurdly quirky in a way that I think Miranda July... Like you said, it's quirky and part of that twee movement, but I think she also was so aware of that that she just put things front and center to just ha- you have to talk about. I think that's another mark of Miranda July. I think she cast Gina Rodriguez for that very reason of like, hey, I have a, here's a sexy Latina who like he's the character who comes and like is the savior for these people in a way. But she put a person of color in that role. I was like, oh cool, we get to talk about that way. So I think it's a very obvious thing she do, and then especially with everything Old Dolio does and acts and sounds. Uh, I think that's very much maybe a commentary on her own filmmaking too. <laughs> do you think so? Wait, why? Wait, wait, in 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 what way do you mean it's a comment on her own filmmaking? Stunted growth that kind of mixed with like you know she just wants to be uh, loved by her parents. She just okay. She just wants to raise a cat before before she gets too old, which is part of the future. Or she just wants to make her art and sculpture. I don't know. It's a it's a theme that she has. <laughs> like quirky, weird characters. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely, of course, that is a theme. But this, see, this is my problem with this movie. I will. I, I I think that she like I was saying like it's part of this like you were mentioning it's part of this twee movement. You mean everyone we know, and people think of it as like Little Miss Sunshine or the Garden State or something. But like those those things are bad. And I think that you mean everyone we know. Everyone we know is actually good. And I think that like this this movie is like what people thought her other stuff was like like it's just kind of like zany stuff that doesn't really go together and people who look and act really weird for no particular reason and a bunch of like weird things happening that like are not explained and are just there to like look cute and weird for a second and like none of it really connects or builds to anything 
And then the movie, like, more than halfway through starts having a plot. And then it has a plot, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, I think, yeah, it does like, show stuff, and then it, you get a little bit of information. Like I said, she moves very slow. All the movies are very slow, and the actual plot uh, is contained in this movie, probably all in the third act uh, of it. But, uh, well, because the they're supposed up... to be, they're supposed to be scammers. Like they're not doing any well, fucking yeah. scams. They're not. She's trying to get a rock well, from a masseuse for a gift certificate. That's not a scam. They they cannot support themselves on these kinds could, of scams. You know, I know it's like it's quirky scamming, I guess. But it's also uh, in the way they raise her. I think is you know they're a kind of a scam. It's like they're scamming their own child. Like the way I think it's uh, we have to talk about the way she was raised a bit right, to sure, yeah. talk about this character. Uh, they raised her, you know. Uh, important it's important to be fair it's important to work hard because you know scamming this way does to uh, you know skim the bottom of the of the to make money to survive is hard work uh, but they also no affection there's no touching there's no uh can't give each other pet names uh so it's like and they're very like and sex they, and sex negative they keep they tell her like they basically tell yeah. her never to have sex or like they're like all they these men want to have sex with you you know in their schemes uh because she was the youngest and also uh well the most agile of them as are two older people uh so like in a way and they always have to split things in a fair equal manner uh so it's like in a way they're scamming their parenting through scamming is, is itself in this movie that is true yeah that is true <laughs> Uh, but you know, as that that but it gets all that out in like the first act and a half, and then uh, during a well, scam, they meet the Gina Rodriguez character, who I yes. think really uh, the film takes off uh, when they move that way, where they acknowledge that Odolio is starved for attention and needs a sense of direction, and they introduce a character who. Uh, gives her that attention and sense of direction. <laughs> it is really strange. I just have, so this is another one of my, I know I'm so like literal minded and limited in my thinking, but like, so they're supposed to be scam artists, right? Like, and this thing is they win t- tickets to New York and like three nights in a hotel or something while all expenses paid. And like, instead of like just doing that because they're scammers, you know, and they won free food and free, free place to stay and all this stuff. They're like, Oh, I would never go to New York. Or they're like, Oh, flying is awful. You know, because there's this whole layer to them where they're not just, it's not like they're just scammers. They're these kinds of like off the grid, like kind of nuts people. And they're, you know, they don't want to get on security cameras, not because they don't want to get arrested, but because they're like, Oh, your face goes in the system. Then they got everything. They got your, they they got your 401ks. They got everything. They got everything. (laughs) They definitely have like that weird and uncle that you don't really see or talk to energy. Uh, And I would say it's, uh, I'm a huge Richard Jenkins fan and I really enjoyed him in this. I think he's, yeah, he's uh, good. He's good. Always funny and always believable, which is a very hard thing to do. Um, uh, Deborah Winger, I was thrilled to see Deborah Winger play I mean, the mom. Definitely, yeah. Uh, but uh, honestly, this uh, though it is Evan Wood's movie. I, I think she's really good in it, and uh, Gina Rodriguez. I think their chemistry is so good, and movie kind of really hinges on them taking off. There is like one great scene that really it happens in the middle of the movie. Like they, it's when after the Gina Rodriguez, her name is Melanie. Uh, Melanie, uh, it's like their first uh, con with her. They incorporate her as a family. <laughs> Uh, and they go to uh, Melanie introduces them to like her clientele because she's a she works at a mall optici- optician kiosk or whatever. Uh, so she has a lot of old clients. So they go to one of her old clients who's just like a guy dying in a room, and uh, they're they're to steal his like pin numbers and rob him. But like he's just there also just wanting th- them to make noise as like he just likes that there's a family 
aspect in his life. And it's weird to describe, but I thought it was like, wow, this is a, I kind of like what this movie should be. It's uh, super emotional and dark and pretty funny and very original. Like they're scraping plates this to make a sound and talking about cake. It's a very good scene. And I don't know. There's not a lot that that I mean. It was very came so, up I mean, afterwards. Yeah, that so this scene is very weird. <laughs> it's yeah, very it's weird because it starts at a level of them. I mean, and this is just the thing about this movie, right? It just exists on this Miranda July plane of existence, right? So it's like they go into this guy's house, and it's an old guy's house, and he's dying, and they're there to like steal his stuff, basically. And somehow he's yelling to them from the other room, and I I couldn't even quite understand what he was saying. But then they all look at each other and they go, oh, he thinks we're like his family. He wants us to be his family. And then they just start acting like they're a family. And then at first it's kind of like very awkward and you know they're just obviously you, you it's existing on the regular reality plane and yeah. they're like pretending to be a family and just saying things to each other but then it's like uh, the gina rodriguez character starts playing the piano and the camera becomes very fluid in the way it's moving and then it's like now it's on a completely other plane of existence and like this is what reality is like they really are a family and it and it's just happening and you're kind of and it goes on for kind of a long time like long enough that you're like Wait, is this happening now? Like, what is going on? <laughs> what is going on right now? Yeah, it's a. I mean, a lesser director would have not as shown the full awkwardness of what the situation was. I, I thought that was very, very cool. I really like that scene. Um, yeah, when you mentioned the camera work there, I think uh, there's a lot of like go for like, oh wow, she's really grown as a filmmaker. Shots. Uh, there's a ama- there's an amazing one take at a gas station later on in the movie. Uh, I think it's there was an earthquake there at that point. Uh, right. And then, yeah. There's also like an then, insane number of earthquakes in this movie. Like they obviously have some kind of metaphorical or emotional meaning. That. It's like connected to old Dolio's emotions in some way that I didn't quite understand. But there's maybe like a dozen earthquakes in this movie, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, it's interesting to note that this is the first movie that Miranda July didn't act in that she directed it. Uh, maybe that's growth as an artist, maybe just not wanting to do it, or maybe just uh, putting her efforts more towards other things. And I, I don't know. It's uh... Based on how specific and weird Evan Rachel Wood's performance is, I feel like the fact that this is the... I feel like Miranda July must have directed her very closely. <laughs> I feel like this was like basically like it was killing her not to be in the movie. And so she <laughs> really directed Evan Rachel I don't know. Wood. Evan Rachel Wood has some uh, has a weirdo streak in her. Uh, I mean, she no, plays I that mean, role. no shade on her. She's a total weirdo. I, uh, she's fucking insane. Oh, yeah, she, I, she, she yeah. dated Marilyn Manson. Uh, she, well, I think. Yeah, I don't think we should talk about that. But uh, there's like a fame. Yeah, I'm right because there's this whole thing like where it's yeah. like he was abusing her. Uh, the couple other themes I think that she hits hard on, as all Miranda July movies does, there's a need for love for the characters. Like I think that's very blatant in this movie, and uh, I think. This is what she does best, Miranda July, is, you know, uh, embrace your own sense of individuality. I think that's a, a, an ultimate message that old Dolio learns is that she is different and that's weird. True. And that's I mean, not necessarily yeah. like a bad thing and that she should be enjoy herself like this. And that kind of is the message of all of those twee movies. And that is kind of why Miranda July gets plugged mm-hmm. in with, like, grouped in with them is like, it's like, it's okay to be a super weirdo, you know? And that is like Little Miss Sunshine, Garden State, Amelie, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. A million of these things, right? Yeah, tweed movies don't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. I think how 
how Ashby movies are considered a little twee. Not all of them, but like especially Harold and Ma, people think is twee, but that's just a good movie. I've, and I would say people would say the next movie we're talking about is twee too, but I think it's also just a solidly good movie. Yeah, do you want to move on to talk about this movie? Oh, if you don't have anything else to say, I just thought that twee does get a bad rap. Beat Happening. Beat Happening. Well, you know, to be totally honest, I, li- I love twee shit. You know, I love Balance of Bastion <laughs> and I love uh, Mates of State. And I used to go to, I mean, you know, you must, did you go to, used to go to these tweed, not like indie pop dance party uh, nights uh, they used to fest, have. In yeah. Pop fest. Uh, and then I Shirley didn't... Braha used to just have these like indie pop dance party nights. It was, they were very, very twee. Everybody was wearing dresses and blazers and like yeah. doing crazy dances and stuff. I did go to them, but you know, I, I liked to wear this cardigans. Like in my, I'm old enough now. T-shirts. Yeah. Cardigans. And yeah, I used to have a, I have a lot of cardigans that I own yeah. and a lot of buttons. I had a lot of buttons, you know? <laughs> okay. But. But so here's what I'll say the problem I think with Miranda July is and I and I I read some uh, interview with her where she had written a piece about her studio like she keeps the house that she used to live in in LA when she was like in her 20s she still has she like owns now and she keeps it as her like studio and she just keeps all of her mail and packages there and stuff. I think her problem is that like she is too rich and successful now. So I think the benefit of the earlier stuff, and I don't know her background. I'm sure that her family is super wealthy, but I don't know that for sure. Um, so obviously that's divorced from reality in a certain way, but I think it's still a little bit more connected to like real spaces that people would go. And I think that is one of the benefits of, of Yumi and everyone we know is that it takes place in some, it's a heightened reality, but at the same time, it's kind of a recognizable reality where they're always like in the library or at the grocery store, just like real places you would go. Right. Um, Whereas now she's so rich and she lives in this completely other world than anyone. It's like this movie takes place in an impression of reality. It's like these are these Miranda Miranda July has not been anywhere like any location in this movie for at least a decade, if not more. And so she's just trying to be like, oh, what are like places? (laughs) You know, it's like she has no fucking idea anymore what a place is. That's fair. Um, it is uh, her, uh, we'll say, her most expensive movie and probably her most uh, produced movie in the sense. I'm not saying it's overproduced, or did I just say that? Um, <laughs> but it is a good, I think, a strong narrative. Uh, I think a future and me and you never want to know uh, by way of even just those titles, you could tell are pretty artistic liberty, liberty movies. And they are great. Uh, but I would say this one is her most narratively strong movie do you uh, really think so you think this is her most narratively strong movie not that i mean in the sense that there's more of a, a construct and I, and I mean we did say like the third act is all gets all the current plot gets crammed but still like we see the plot very much it's very much in your face at that point so well, it is interesting you're right because it the it's 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 almost textbook screenplay structure except that the thing that should happen at the end of act one happens at the end of act two. And there's just like the first two acts are just like nonsense, you know, yeah. and the third act is the plot. And then the movie's and, over. You know, there's, you could, sometimes you could tolerate nonsense. And that's fun. I mean, it's I fine. Mean, I mean, I, I love I think, nonsense. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, the, I love it. The foam is probably a good barrier of entry. If you're, not just the fact that there's the foam, but it's like very 
specifically, they show you that the foam factory is next door to them, but then the foam is coming from their ceiling. And so I'm like, well, where the fuck is the foam factory, guys? Okay, can we not at least get this straight? Like, we just, why go to the, why show me that it is next door and then in the next scene have it coming from the ceiling? Like, you just established the location of the foam factory and it's different, you know? Uh, it might be like a runoff shoot wall. I don't know. It's just a, the share of wall. I shouldn't have to do as much it. head cannon. I shouldn't have to do as much head cannon on the foam factory. It looks cool. We I mean, have to cool. get this big budget, make a big foam factory, and then make them go underneath it to go into where they're living. And that would be funny, and it would be more of a strong sense of place, you know? Sure. I'm not going to argue with that too much. I don't know. You know, just <laughs> real lazy. This is what I'm saying. It's just lazy filmmaking. And it's just, like, <laughs> prioritizing, like, a f something that looks crazy over anything that makes any kind of sense. Uh, it's lazy uh, logistically, sure. It's logistically lazy. And I realize it's trying – this movie I, – I actually – I kept imagining, like, do you think Miranda July and Britt Marling are friends? Like, I 100% think that they are best friends. Britt Marling of the OA Yes, this movie gave me very strong the OA vibes, and I and I just imagine the two of them hanging out in L.A. and like saying increasingly wacky shit to each other. You know, like uh, I like they are like both uh, renowned directors in a way. I was a big fan of was it Another Earth and Sound of My Voice. All right, so I'm gonna move on. Is that cool? That's cool. I'll move on to. Okay, the next movie <laughs> we're gonna talk about is 1973's Paper Moon. Well, my name is Prey, Kansas Bible Company. I, Mr. Huff ordered this Bible as a gift for someone named Edna. That's my name. Now, you don't have to take it if you don't want to. I'll just give you back Amos's dollar deposit, and then there'll be... Of course no I want to keep it. He bought me a Bible. Yes, ma'am. Now, I told Amos I could sell him a cheaper one, but no, naturally he wanted the best. The best, of course, being the deluxe edition Lux. with a name printed in Child of the Manger gold letters. Bringing up a balance, too. That's $24. Twenty-four dollars, I'll get my purse. What's your name, honey? Addie. Addie, what a sweet little name. Addie Prey, ma'am. Well, Addie Prey, I'm gonna get you twenty-four dollars and an extra five for just coming to my door. During the Great Depression, a con man and a little girl team up to swindle residents across Kansas using Bibles. But what sets Peter Bogdanovich's movie apart from that curious logline is the director's willingness to pave over the inherent misery of the Depression while simultaneously acknowledging it, uh, helping, make that seemingly uh, helping make that seemingly impossible task possible is the father-daughter duo of Ryan and Tatum O'Neill. We open on the two leads at the child's mother's funeral. Nine-year-old Addie, in a near-constant scowl throughout the entire movie, meets Moses, uh, the near-destitute con man who may or may not be her father, under dire circumstances, as Addie has no place to go, no place to live. Mose agrees to take her... Uh, Mose agrees to take her to her only known relative in St. Joseph, Missouri, under the guise of collecting $200. But Addie, upon hearing that Mose only received that money as means of support for the newly orphaned child demands that money for herself. What follows is a road trip featuring cons, both of the crime and Madeline variety. And of course, <laughs> I knew you'd like that. <laughs> and of course, a deepening of the relationship, all set using a gorgeous black and white and deep focus cinematography. Throw a notable Oscar on top of that. And let's discuss Chris. 
so Paper Moon, a movie I've heard of my entire life and never seen. A movie I've seen the Simpsons parody oh, of. Oh, you never saw it before? No, never seen it. Never seen it. Never uh-huh. seen it in my life. Oh, wow. Um, I know, I, I knew, already knew one of the notable facts about it, which is that uh, Tatum O'Neill won the best, what, supporting actress? Best supporting actress, which uh, I, I would call bullshit on because clearly it's total bullshit. A, a, it's total a, bullshit. A, it's a lead actress role. I even like looked up who uh, won lead actress that year, and it was Glenda da- Jackson for A Touch of Class, which is actually kind of cool. But uh, but yeah, uh, I would say no one remembers A Touch of Class, let alone Glenda Jackson. That movie. No offense. Well, yeah, everybody. I would but, say it's uh, more bullshit O'Neill because probably should have won. Actress, I mean, she's yeah. good. I will look. She's really really good in the movie, but it also it's like a very classical little kid performance where she's it always is. saying stuff like she's like. Get out of here, Mister! Like she, basically every one of her lines, you know. And it, it works in the sense that like she has to be put up a little uh, front as the character does a little bit to be that tough. And that you still owe me per- my two hundred dollars. My two hundred dollars, man. That's the scene, and that's the first scene we get. It's set in a diner where she yells at him, and that's the first scene we get to know. Like, oh wait, uh, this bi- this bitch ain't pe- messing around. She is about this m- m- life. She's about getting. Yeah, money. she's about this life, and that's. It's about in like we're getting a partnership movie at that point. It's not about like this uh, old con man dealing with a kid. No, it's like they're two on the same level. If anything, she's a better con man than him too. And she's pushing him throughout the movie to do bigger and better cons yeah. all the time. They make so much money together, you know, because she's like pushing, and he's always going like, "Are you crazy? You're gonna get me put in jail for the rest of my life," you know. It's really amazing how much pathos uh, young Kate O'Neill brings this movie. So this is wait, so we didn't even wait. We didn't even say oh, yeah. I, what I was gonna say that she was Go the ahead, youngest sorry. person ever to win an, a competitive Oscar. So that that's for because of this movie. Like to this day, she's the youngest person ever to have won a competitive Oscar. She was only ten when she won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. Mm-hmm. That was the, that was it. I was just going to say that. I was going to oh, say that. that. Was it. No, <laughs> go on with whatever you were saying. Oh yeah, no, we could just talk about this movie in general. It was, uh, so it was made in the seventies and it was about the thirties. So it was like this nostalgic movie. Uh, it is made for the adults. Thirties were so big in the seventies. The thirties yeah. were so big in the seventies. A hundred. You know, and it's not necessarily like about nostalgia for those for the older people who grew up or experienced that time. I think, and knowing uh, a little bit about Peter Bogdanovich, it's about uh, those who grew up watching movies set in the thirties <laughs> a little bit. Uh, and I think, I mean, I like Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, I think he's a very cool guy. He's a very interesting director. Oh, I think a cool he's a very hell guy. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, he is very much influenced and wears his influences on his sleeve, except for maybe this movie. And I think that is because he had uh, Tatum O'Neill making this movie such a weird, unique piece of art. Uh, also, uh, we're saying Tatum, O'Neill, but her dad does a really good job too. Ryan O'Neill. I think oh he gets God, a little, Ryan. he's so good in this movie. He's yeah. so good in this movie. He's so attractive. And he's also like doing a really good job. He has to do a lot of the acting and, you know, knowing that There's in a lot real of the life, duons, their yeah. father and daughter, it makes it, you know, really mm-hmm. interesting to watch because they spend so much of the movie arguing with each other. And it's so cute. If he you kind of had the, uh, Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, well, it's just so cute if you think they're really father and daughter. But I don't want to, uh, before we get away from this topic, like, um, yeah, just the 30s. So big in the 70s. Yeah. Like, you got Bonnie and Clyde. You got uh, King Kong. 
You've got like all the Looney Tunes made in the seventies or set in the thirties. Also, that's when all the gangster Looney oh, Tunes things are from. It's from that's the seventies. Suck. And they're awful. I hate yeah. them. There's all these like gangster ones. They're really, really bad. That's when Hanna uh, Barbera started coming. On. I mean, you're getting me off my cartoon tangent. But that's when Hanna Barbera started coming and make that shit for even worse for cartoons. Oh yeah, it was a dark time. Single sale animation. Really. Honestly, yeah. it was. It was. It was a um, Saturday morning era. Yeah. And then this movie, right? Where and, oh, and Star Wars, like I mentioned before, Star Wars. Like, yeah. You cannot forget that is a movie that is just basically something from the '30s that they remade for the '70s. Yeah, the same like, movies and, in the '30s. So it's like very, um, it's very, very strongly that. And but I maybe think so. Maybe it's just because I had never seen it until now. But out of all, most of the shit they made in the '70s that was set in the '30s, like Annie, isn't Annie also from then, or maybe it's from the early '80s? Uh, but like, yeah, yeah, it might be '70s. But um, I think this is the best one. I think it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like the best of all of that shit is Paper Moon because it's like it's very faithful in a certain way, but it's also updated in a way that's that's fun. And it, it gets something right about the way that things are photographed. Like everything's photographed in a way that's oh, kind of like. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like there's a, one of the early shots is uh, Ryan O'Neal walking up to this funeral in this like middle of fucking nowhere in the Midwest, right? And the so much of the sky is in the is in the frame with them, and it's like so bleak looking, but it's not really commenting on that. That's just like the way it looks, you know. <laughs> and I thought that was so good. So that really reminded me of the '30s in a certain way, and like, but without yeah. being over the top and stupid, it was just like it just was oh, yeah. like that. It was amazing. You know, I thought it was really really well made. Uh, and like we're saying, uh, it's, there are con people going across, and then as they go across, you get to see all this des- desolate Kansas area and a bunch of sky. It's gorgeous. Uh, even the cars they drive are like cool in their old retro way. Um, and they're doing cons, and their cons work as a shared experience between the two. Like there's growth throughout the cons. Like they're selling Bibles to widows, uh, and then it comes to a scene where like they have a widow who has like 15 children and then Addie's like, no, we're not doing this right now. And then they get, yeah. go to a con where it's the next one. And it's a, a woman who's clearly has, she notices a chandelier notices. She's wearing fancy jewelry. So she charges them like triple the amount of what they usually do. <laughs> and, and the woman's really, like, sure thing. And yeah. an extra $5 for you for being cute. <laughs> you know. And they don't even, uh, they acknowledge it through like one sentence that she even did that. Like, and it's just more of like a power grab. And it's just more about like they're just going on and like they're they're bonding through and growing as a bond and growing as a relationship. And it's uh, so smart and so uh, easy to watch, too. It's yeah, it is. It's so watchable. Oh, my God. It goes down so easy. I was saying to Caleb before we started recording, like I didn't really make any notes because I was just watching this movie. I just really enjoyed watching it. It was really fun. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, they have great chemistry. They're real life father and daughter. And somehow I think from knowing just through culture that this was like a movie about cons and it was a father daughter con team and seeing the Simpsons thing of it, it was like somehow I thought it was going to be more about like almost like an Ocean's Eleven kind of thing where they're like, we're going to do this big con right now. But it's really just like each of the cons is just it's played for the relationship between the father and daughter and it's like am i doing this okay and like am i gonna get in trouble right now and like okay no you're you're doing great just keep going you know and it's just like all looks and like sort of tone of voice changes and it's just really well done and you just you just lock into it immediately and just have a great time watching it you know i was uh remember i saw the first time i remember i was like i was watching a bunch of like dark i was really into uh like the french horror movies martyrs and stuff uh, and then I just happened to like, oh, I already heard this movie. I need something light. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is just 
absolutely fantastic movie. It just always like stuck out. This is only the second time I've watched it. I'm so glad I got to watch it again. Uh, oh, and yeah. wait, we should talk about Madeline Kahn, who yeah, is like comes gosh. up in the middle of the movie, like pure vintage Madeline Kahn playing yeah. like a hot she, dumbass, she also got which a, is like uh, what support... her best part. Yeah, you know? it really is. Uh, she also got a supporting actress uh, nomination for this, which I thought was cool. But man, we'll play their line. Uh, but she says, I got to go take Tinky Winky. <laughs> Like, mom has got to take a tinky winky. (laughs) (laughs) And she says it like a bunch, you know? And she's like from a circus sideshow, which I guess is the kind of place you used to go to like see a hot lady. Like, is that? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's so weird. I mean, uh, it was the Depression era. Uh, They had to make their money. And well, hey, no, I just mean yeah. more like you had to go to a tent in the like at the fairground to see a hot lady who was naked. Like that was your only option, you know. Like oh, sure, yeah. There was no internet or there was <laughs> the no strip circus. clubs. It was yeah. like you know you had to go to the one weird tent. Um, but like she's so good in the movie. Like yeah, right. Madeline Kahn through the seventies, she's always playing like a hot idiot. Yeah. Like in yeah, you know, she, Young Frankenstein or yeah, you know, Blazing Saddles other. was the next. Uh, yeah, Blazing, Blazing Saddles, Saddles next, right, was yeah. both next year. Yeah. What's up, Doc? So she's was the really year before good at, this yeah. because her character has some pathos in this movie too. Because she's like, she sort of gloms on to the two of them with her like maid that she has. And it's like, it's like she's the scammer now and she's scamming them. But also the dad is like in love with her basically, or at least enjoys having sex with her, you know? And then it's, so then Ryan, so then Tatum O'Neill scam when the maid come up with this scheme to get her kicked out of the, honestly, that was like maybe my least favorite part of the movie that, that section. I mean, it was good and it was well done, but it was just a little bit like it went on a little long, I felt like, and it wasn't like. You know, I wasn't that invested in it. You know, yeah, I was, was glad when the show, movie was. Yeah, it's a show that uh, Addie is like running things a little bit. Uh, right, it's like her taking control and like right. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, Paper Moon was based off of a uh, book, Addie Prey, which is the character's name. I assume that was a big part of the book. <laughs> right, it seemed like it. Who was the guy uh, who was playing the hotel clerk? Isn't that somebody who's famous? Uh, maybe uh, they did say like you're as handsome as Dick Powell. So I don't know, maybe it was Dick Powell. <laughs> No, Dick Powell is like a 30s movie star. Okay. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Then. Um, no, this is boring for you. Do you have something else you want to talk about? Uh, I would like to mention uh, the cinematographer. We talked about how great these shots are, which, you know, the director is partly responsible for uh, setting up the shots and how they, how they are looking. But the actual physical doing it is the cinematographer. And it's Laszlo Kovacs, who is fucking sick, man. He shot my favorite movie, Five Easy Pieces. He also did Easy Rider, which is... A probably very hard movie to shoot. Uh, he also did Shampoo and movies for Altman and Scorsese. He did movies for Sylvester Stallone when he was directing. Uh, and he was so good. Like These are like art movies in the 60s and stuff. Uh, and then he was so good. He finally cashed in and like did Ghostbusters and Say Anything and My Best Friend's Wedding. Uh, total like took paychecks towards the end. But who cares? All those movies look really good. Ghostbusters, is, I always say, is an underratedly good looking movie. <laughs> No, it is. It's a great looking movie. It's, you know, a great New York movie. It looks great. I mean, great. Say Anything has that iconic shot. I mean, that's Laszlo Kovacs, man. I mean, that's no, true. Easy Rider looks so good. This movie looks so fucking cool looking. Yeah. This guy's name is Burton Gillum, who is the hotel clerk. He was in. He was also in Blazing Saddles. This is like his other big part. And that's it. I don't know why I recognize him. <laughs> he's in Back to the Future Part 3, I guess. And also Honeymoon does, in Vegas. <laughs> he does have like, he's like a shit-eating grin a little bit and, uh, just like, oh, really? Oh, shuck, man. Uh, I don't know. Oh, he's, well, he okay. All right. Just, yeah. And he looks like he has caps in a time before <laughs> anyone actually had caps. He just has these huge white teeth. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, anyway, that's that. <laughs> he does have really big, big white teeth. 
what else do I want to say about this movie about Paper Moon? Um, it's like you were saying, Caleb. I just thought it was like really watchable. I thought it was really like fun. I, you know, there's car chases and shootouts, and eventually the the effects of all of this like cheating and lying that they've done do catch up with them a little bit, but it kind of just puts them back where they started and they're just like mm-hmm. out, just like they always were, you know, running scams together. It puts them and it's back where they very started. Cute. Like, yeah. It's very cute. Yeah. But it goes along with like, Moe's is kind of like a shitty con man too. <laughs> like he yeah. had like $0 when he first met. When he first met. <laughs> yeah. Right. Whereas she is like really good. She's really good at doing cons. And it's really fun to watch them do, con- and it's just, it is like Bugs Bunny shit. The things that they're doing are literally like things that are in Bugs sure. Bunny cartoons. Yeah, where just, they have, One of their Bunny. main cons they do is they're like, here's a five. Oh, actually, give me five ones. Wait, let me give you a 10. Okay, give me five back. Like they do that like four times, yeah. you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just real silly stuff and it's very 1930s-y, but it's just played in this way. It's just, played perfectly you know the relationship between tatum and ryan o'neill is so good and they like always seem to be having so much fun together uh and you're just kind of rooting for them to succeed even though they're scamming people yeah. they don't seem to be scamming them out of like too much and rooting only what they can afford yeah. you know yeah yeah you're rooting for this and you're rooting them to uh stay together because you know there's like an expiration date coming on the end and it is like a little cute wrapping way it up and it totally earns how cute it is at the to- at the end I think so too. I think so too. I mean, I was yeah. definitely very pleasantly surprised by this movie. Yeah, it's uh, uh, an actual, uh, actually one of the best choice movies we have. Do you have anything else you want to say about Paper Moon, Caleb? Uh, I talked about Laszlo Kovacs. Um, yeah, I talked about Peter Bogdanovich a little bit. He was coming off of a big, what he did right before this, which also starred Ryan O'Neill, um, What's Up Doc, which is another very Bugs Bunny esque movie, not only in title, but Barbara Streisand is that. Very funny in that movie. But then he had a lot of Oscar success before that with uh, Last Picture Show, which I don't, I'm not a huge mm-hmm. fan of. Uh, I, I, uh, I don't know. He's a big John Ford, Orson Welles. I don't know. But at his like at the time for Peter Bogdan, this is like, I think, just looking at his career, like rocketed him. I haven't seen all of his movies. Uh, but, you know, he was, he's, again, just the coolest guy. He was uh, showing movies at MoMA in the 50s and early 60s. He befriended all these cool directors and became the uh, uh, early Esquire film critic. And then uh, Targets, he made this movie called Targets, which is pretty badass. Uh, yeah, now he became this cool person. We get to, like, just have, a, like, he still acts and things and pops up all the time and things. He's just a cool person we get to have in the world. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's and he. I most honestly, I mostly know Peter Bogdanovich from like acting in other people's movies or being mm-hmm. like being interviewed about being a director. And like, isn't he one of the guys that always wears an ascot? Isn't that like Peter he does Bog- wear an ascot? Yeah, he actually has a podcast right now on TCM with Ben Mankiewicz that I've been meaning to check out. And he has like huge glasses and cool. he wears an ascot. And that's what I know about Peter Bogdanovich. He seems like one of these very classic 1970s LA people, like Robert Evans, Robert like, Evans kind of yeah, scene, yeah. right? Or where they just like just were like drunk in a really classy way all the time you know like he was really good though i thought yeah. it was really i thought it was extremely well directed yeah and he gets to act like that for the rest of his fucking life as far as i'm concerned if you made paper moon like come on um so caleb like let's say you had to pick one of these movies that you liked uh more than the other one or <laughs> you had to spend the rest of your life scam- eking out a barren existence by scamming people out of tiny amounts of money. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick Paper Moon. It really is a classic. and uh, it held. I mean, I watched it 10 years ago, and it held up when I watched it for the first time, well, what, 
40 years then and still like it's about 50 years old now damn it'll be 50 years old in three years it's still gonna hold up damn uh i liked uh uh cajoiner as i remember its name of the movie and there are some similarities <laughs> uh, to this movie in the sense that like it's not about the con it's about the relationship between the parent and child not necessarily the parent in paper moon but you know the adult figure and right. uh and more about uh, them coming to terms with each other and more about the actual child in that situation uh, becoming a fully formed person and not fully formed in the sense of Paper Moon, but fully formed in the sense that she knows what she wants and is just a very... They're both quirky characters, uh, but just works better in Paper Moon. <laughs> yeah, it works I mean, in Kajoda for what it is, but Paper Moon is just a better movie. Sorry. No, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't mean to step on it. I was going to say, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Paper Moon, 100% of the way. I mean, I think this is definitely a case of like, you know, I don't know if this makes me sound small-minded or what, but it's like, it seems like it's like it's more liberating and artistic to make a movie like uh, Kajillionaire, which is, you know, f- free of conventions and expressing itself so fully in a certain sense, right? But, you know... I- if you're going to talk about like actually best choice, I think it's much more difficult and much more satisfying to make a movie like Paper Moon where it is like it just it works in a way that it is like understandable and entertaining and also very emotionally complex and gratifying. Like I think at the end of the day I got more emotional catharsis out of watching Paper Moon than I got out of watching Kajillionaire because none of its characters felt like real people to me. Mm. They felt like weird ideas that Miranda July had. They didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was watching about a movie about real people in the real world having real emotions. I felt I was watching some kind of yeah. insane bit- thing, you know, like, and, and I am all up for that in a lot of situations, but like, I just didn't feel like it really came together. In, uh, yeah. Kajillionaire it might have been more me. like nuance or, uh, indescribable less straightforward emotions they're trying to convey in I mean, Kajillionaire. I guess, I guess uh, but you know but i think it's the same thing it's about you know yeah. feelings of love and affection between people that maybe they don't ha- express feelings of love and affection or they don't have a reason to feel them together and how do you grow as a person but still maintain relationships with people i mean that's that's what this movie is but, all about that's what paper but with paper moon about. it's just like with the more straightforward especially with a child actor of uh, those emotions, there's something to be, to be said about a straightforward theme and just fucking nailing it too. Just fucking <laughs> nailing it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. Kajillionaire is trying to do a much different thing, obviously. And it's trying to express yeah. different emotions. Right. And you're right. They are more weird, abstract adult emotions. Uh, so in that sense, sure. That's a diff- more difficult task. And, and I, uh, you know, God, God bless Marin mm-hmm. July. But I, I just feel like, as a viewer, as a person who likes movies, I just got so much more out of watching Paper Moon than I got out of watching. You, I, I, yeah, it, I did too. Yeah, yeah. It's just a great. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I hadn't seen it until now, but it's, I'm glad that I watched it. It was really, really good. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I suggested it on a whim because we forgot to, as we're winding down the show, we forgot to. It was pick great. A Thanks a lot, second brother. Movie. And I was just like, oh, I thought of Paper Moon. <laughs> oh my god, Caleb! Don't give him a don't give him a look behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. Just look behind her like, oh, paper moon. <laughs> Shut up! Shut up, you idiot! <laughs> We're trying to get through this podcast. <laughs> uh, my friend doesn't know what he's talking about. Everybody, uh, we our plan is out way in advance. <laughs> okay, goodbye, you jerks. Goodbye, goodbye. Well.